This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Jesus is saying anything is possible for those who believe does not mean that you can do anything that you believe in. It means that in the context of anything God wants to do in and through a person, if the person believes God and takes God at his word, that person who believes will never lack the resources, will never lack the protection, will never lack the opportunity to accomplish that which God wants to accomplish. Today, Pastor Josh is going to remind you that being faithful to God isn't about getting what you want, but what God has for you in your life. This might mean having to give up your own desires and your own wants. You might think that you're destined to be a professional athlete, a professional musician, or successful business person. But is that aligning with what God has planned for you? It can be a tough question to answer. But if you truly believe in God, you must be faithful in doing the plans that He has for you. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. As he begins his message, faith declares Jesus is better. As we're looking at the biblical characteristics of what faith truly is, we've recognized that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe not only that he is, but that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And a life of faith for the believer is not optional. It's not when I feel comfortable, I'll decide to live by faith. And when I'm not comfortable, I'll decide to live by my own understanding. No, a life of faith is constantly God pressing us towards our comfort zone, pressing us past our boundaries to do things that require us to trust in him. That we run up against the impossibilities of life and it demands that we come to his eternal promises in his word and believe them for ourselves. And as we look and continue simply down the list, we're gonna jump right in. Another characteristic of biblical faith is this. Sarah teaches us, number one, take notes, that faith trusts God's faithfulness. Faith, true faith, trusts in God's faithfulness. Verse 11 again tells us, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him, notice, God, she judged him faithful who had promised. So I believe it because God said it, not by simply what I'm experiencing, but because of what God said. I believe it, and God is faithful to his promises. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars in the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now, in Genesis chapters 12 and 13, God approaches Abraham, a man who is coming out of a polytheistic, godless society himself, and God is calling and choosing to set Abraham apart to create his own, uh, his own special people in the world. And Abraham, hearing from God, is told a promise, not only the promise to go away from the land and from your family where you're at and to go to a place I will show you that I'm going to give you as an inheritance, but a promise that your descendants will outnumber the stars in the heaven. Abraham, look up and see the stars. 
Look up and see the, the innumerable mouth. This is what I'm going to do. You, you, every, the, the entire earth will be blessed because of you. And the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness, that righteousness that's through faith. But here's the thing. In order for that promise to come true, it meant that a very old Abraham and a very old Sarah who didn't have any children or heirs or seed would have to have a what? A baby. And so the, the promise of God to them was spiritual and yet future, yet it ran into a very physical and temporal problem. How is this going to come to pass? And it's interesting to me that the process by which Isaac, the promised child, came, when we read it in the original context of the passage in, in Genesis, when you read the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, you don't initially see a story that you would say, boy, that's filled with faith. And here's what I mean. Immediately after receiving these promises and believing God for them, Sarah is already looking at the impossibility of the situation. Time is going by. She's getting older. She's already past the childbirthing age. And so she has this idea in her mind. Well, God certainly isn't going to do it through me. So Abraham, why don't you have an intimate relationship with your servant Hagar? And that's how we'll get the child, right? It makes sense to me. I believe God, but I'm going to kind of try to navigate and make and force his promises to happen my way. So I'm going to manipulate a situation. I'm going to put my plans together. And yeah, I know God already said that this is going to happen through me, but you know, God must not know how all of the circumstances. So let me help him out a little bit. And this takes place. And of course, what's birthed from that is trouble. Ishmael is born. And finally, when Isaac comes, Ishmael and Isaac and the people after that are, at, are in competition and odds with each other. And this work of the flesh is born through that act of really what it was, was faithlessness. It was an act of faithlessness. But God was still planning on keeping his promise. The story continues. When, Abra when Sarah was 90 now, and Abraham was 100, God told them, you're going to have a son. They were literally the first couple that could have claimed the elderly discount on their maternity bill at the hospital. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But when we read the story, Hebrew seems a little out of place. In Genesis chapter 17, God said to Abraham... As for Sarai, your wife, you should not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and give you a son by her. He's very specific. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings, and people shall be from her. And then how did Abraham respond? Abraham fell on his face and laughed. I kind of hope he didn't do it while his wife was present. <laughs> and he said to himself, a child shall be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And then in the next chapter, God shows up, and he's speaking with Abraham, and Sarah's sneaking in on the conversation. She's like a, being a peeping Sarah. And she's listening in on this conversation, and God tells Abraham, this is going to happen. You're going to have a child. Sarah's going to have a child. And in Genesis 18, we read, Sarah was well advanced in age and had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. 
saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being all old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, surely I shall bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. I wish I could have been there to hear Sarah arguing with God (laughs) about what really happened. But do I really need to be there? Because is it that foreign to me? Seriously. You know, God doesn't simply hear the things that come out of our mouth. God hears the conversations that we have in our heart. And here Abraham and Sarah both respond to this impossibility the same way. They both laugh. And they both have an internal conversation about how impossible it is. I wonder if you've ever been there. I wonder if you've ever gone through a season that's been so challenging in life that the promises of God seem so distant and far away that you have this internal conversation in your heart and say, God doesn't seem to get it. We kind of laugh it off in, in a laughter of cynicism. Isn't it interesting that Isaac, when he was born, his name means like he laughs. That laugh of faith. Abraham and Sarah laughed because of the impossibility of the situation that God described. And this is a blessing to me. Because when it comes to the book of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit who inspired the scripture chose not to point out all the doubt filled, faithless moments of Abraham and Sarah, but rather says, Sarah conceived because she believed. Something shifted in Sarah's heart that even though she had moments of doubt and moments of failure and moments of questions and moments where she didn't want to surrender and moments where she did it her own way, she always came back to that place where she said, I'm still going to trust God. I'm still going to believe God, which tells me God is not looking for us to have perfect faith. God is looking for us to always come back to the place of faith, even when we stumble and even when we have need a course correction in our lives. I've learned this, and I think it's true, that when we allow faith to overcome our cynicism and our doubts, we make room for God to birth new things in our life for God to do new things that he wants to accomplish in us. But also notice that her faith, not only by faith did she receive the strength to conceive, by believing God, even through the impossibility, but her faith helped Abraham in his impossibility. The faith of Sarah helped bolster the faith and the the function even of Abraham. We're told here that Abraham, and I love the language, who was as good as dead, Now, I did not write this, okay? I want want you to know, this is the Holy Spirit's sense of humor. When it says Abraham was as good as dead, it's not saying Abraham was sick or he had cancer and he was almost going to die, okay? What it means is that sexual function said goodbye a long time ago. It's just what it means. Abraham wasn't capable. He wasn't able anymore. This is what Sarah meant when she said, Will I receive the joy of of having a son and my Lord since he's so old? I know it's hard for us to embrace that with age comes the dysfunction of our bodies. (laughs) That is a sad reality. But here's the truth of the matter. Isn't it just like God to take us to the point of impossibility 
only to show us the extent of his power. This is true in my life. I'm sure it's true in yours. And nearly 4,000 years later, the physical and spiritual descendants of Abraham are still around and they outnumber the stars in the heaven. And ultimately, as we're going to see this in a moment, Abraham didn't get to see the fulfillment of all God's promises. He believed them by faith. But all God's promises came to pass, just as he said they would. And they would have never known it then at 100 years old to be expecting a son, a son, but they chose to believe God against the impossible. And I want to say this. I think this is important because of how faith has been abused in our Christian culture today. This wasn't a matter of simply them believing enough to get what they wanted. That's how faith is portrayed many times today. Faith is you're just, it's you just believe God for whatever you want, and the harder you believe, God is obligated to give it to you. That is not what he is suggesting here. When Jesus said the words, all things are possible for those who believe, there was a context surrounding that. Jesus wasn't suggesting that if you feel like one day you want to fly, you can just go up to the top of the Empire State Building, jump off, and if you believe God enough, you certainly will fly. That's not what he meant. If your child is begging you for a unicorn, just go out to your field, believe God enough, and anything is possible for him who believes, just call that unicorn into existence. Like, that's a stupid analogy. It is. But it's to the point that people use faith in that context a lot. If I simply believe enough, God can get me the things I want or can do the things I think that he should do. No, here's, what, here's the context. Jesus is saying anything is possible for those who believe does not mean that you can do anything that you believe in. It means that in the context of anything God wants to do in and through a person, if the person believes God and takes God at his word, that person who believes will never lack the resources, will never lack the protection, will never lack the opportunity to accomplish that which God wants to accomplish. They will be used and available and see God, God's promises. You see, faith is not based on what I want, it's based on what God promised. And if I believe what God promised, I will never lack in, in seeing those things come to pass. And so, Jesus here, through Sarah, invites us into a life of faith, of trusting that God is faithful. Faithful is he who has called you, Paul says, and he will also fulfill it. Counting God is faithful even in the midst of my unbelief. And, and I can't help but think of Jesus approaching that father who had a child who was possessed, and the father is sort of begging Jesus to take care of the situation. And Jesus said, everything is possible for those who believe. And what was his response? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And that's a good prayer. Lord, I believe, I trust in you, the basis is there, but help me walk in the areas that I still doubt, that I still have fear, that I still want to take control and do it my own way. Lord, help me, as Sarah did, to have that testimony of faith that you are faithful. As we move on, this is important as it's tied to the specific events. Number two, faith embraces that life is a pilgrimage. Faith embraces that life is a pilgrimage. Look at verse 13 with me again. 
These all died in faith, having not received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. When you initially read this, it could almost be like the downer of the, of the passage. All this faith, 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 believe, God's going to do it. And then he's like, and they all died without receiving the promise that God gave them. Did they see certain parts of the promise? Yes. Did Abraham see Isaac? Yes. Did he take him up to a mountain to sacrifice him by faith? Yes, we're going to see that in a little bit. But when Abraham died, the majority of what God promised him had not come to pass in his life. You know what this teaches me? Is that faith does not always imply the full reception of all of God's promises in the here and now, which means do not let temporary disappointments discourage or damage your faith. I'm going to say that again. Do not allow temporary discouragements or disappointments to discourage or damage your faith. Why? Because we tend to see only what's in front of us. God tends to see everything he sees the whole picture. He knows why and when and who and where when we can't quite see the, the direction that he's moving us. Faith is not based on our perception or our circumstances or even our temporary experience. Faith is predicated on what God said. And therefore, if my experiences don't always line up with the promise, that shouldn't tempt me to say, oh, I'm done with Jesus. I'm done with God. No, it should exhort me that God knows something I don't know, that God sees something I don't see, and that when I get to the other end of this journey and I look back, I will be able to say with full assurance, God, you were right. God, you were wise. God, you know what I needed. My life was always under your care and always in your hands. But notice two, uh, excuse me, three things they did. Regarding their temporary status on earth, the Bible here tells us that they saw, they embraced, and they confessed. It says they saw the promises afar off, and they believed, which tells me that eyes of faith must constantly be directed towards what we can't see. Paul said we long for and trust in the things not that we see, but the things that we don't see. For if we Trust in the things. We wait for the things that we don't see. We wait for them with perseverance and endurance. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. And then listen to this. Reserved in where? Heaven. In heaven for you. There are certain promises reserved on earth that you and I will experience, but the bulk of God's promises might be what we experience in heaven, which means our faith has to be rooted in that thing, in that which we don't see, not in which we, what we see. And notice that they saw the promises afar off, and then I love these two words. Stick with me, guys. They embraced and confessed. What did they embrace and confess? That they were pilgrims on the earth. This is powerful. They embrace and confess. To confess is to verbalize a statement of belief. This is what I believe. 
And to embrace is to joyfully receive and live out the things that I confess and that I believe. And what was it that these saints were saying and embracing with joy? That this world is not my home. That is what faith did. And I think this is so important because faith is not the means by which you get all the things you want on earth to build your life of comfort and safety and protection on earth by faith. No, in fact, it's the opposite. Faith is that thing that causes us to not be rooted or comfortable on earth so that we can live for heaven. That is what faith does. And the early saints were not ashamed to confess their heavenly identity and to embrace their heavenly destiny or destination. You know, in many places on earth today, as it was back then, to the audience that Paul was writing to, there were no social benefits from going to church. There were no perks you got by identifying with Jesus. In fact, identifying with Jesus most likely meant the loss of the things you have on earth, the giving up and the surrender of life as you know it in this place that you've known. For those listening to this in their context who are tempted to say, it's getting hard following Jesus. We're losing a lot following Jesus. Everyone's against us following Jesus. Why don't we just go back to the world? And Paul is saying, for what? What are you going to get there that Christ hasn't already promised you something better? Perhaps you've heard the story of pioneer missionary Henry Morrison. Henry was returning to the States after 40 years of serving God as a missionary in Africa. He was on board the same boat as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from a safari in Africa. When the boat docked in New York Harbor, a huge reception of people and photographers and press were there to meet the president. Morrison exited the boat alone and dejected. Not one person welcomed him. Not one person was there to see him. He just spent 40 years serving the Lord in Africa. Now in his return home, no one seemed to care. And it's recorded that as he was getting off the the boat, the Lord reminded him, Henry, you're not home yet. Oh, trust me, when you cross the shores of heaven, Jesus will be there with rewards and praise and all the saints who have gone before cheering you as you cross those borderlines into your eternal home. But here and now, we got to be cautious and leery about how rooted we become in this world. Peter calls us sojourners and pilgrims. Philippians 3 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven from where we wait eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship, we are merely passing through. And what does it look like for us to embrace and confess our temporary status here in this life? Well, what I think that looks like is that to embrace and confess that this is not my home is an act of surrender. It's saying, Lord, My will, I surrender to yours. My money, I surrender to your purposes. My home, my family, my ambitions, my dreams, I put them all under the umbrella of your authority. 
Thanks for joining us today for Pastor Josh's study from the New Testament book called Hebrews. We hope you've been encouraged in your love of God and your love of the people of this world. If you'd like more information about The Ascending Life or would like to hear other teachings from Pastor Josh, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. We have an array of messages from different topics gleaned from God's Word, available in video and audio format. Feel free to download these messages and take them on the go as well. It's always great to add a bit of God's Word to every situation. And in this fast-paced world we're a part of, that can change the mood of a day in an instant. You'll also find links on our website to our social media pages, and we'd love to connect with you there. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram to stay up to date with everything happening at The Ascending Life and Grace Church. You'll find links to both at graceontheweb.org. If you're in the St. Joseph area, we'd be honored to have you join us at Grace Calvary Chapel for our weekly service. You'll find all the information you need about our church, service times, and locations at theascendinglife.com. Not in the area? No worries. You can still join us this Sunday for worship via our live stream. Just visit theascendinglife.com to connect. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. We hope you've been encouraged by what Pastor Josh shared. There's much more to learn from the book of Hebrews, so be sure to join us next time right here on The Ascending Life. We're reaching up, we're pressing in.